Well, our main passage this morning is in Psalm chapter 73. We've been going through the letters of hope. This has become a tradition. Uh, I think it's a good one. Uh, <clears throat> so this is, we're starting our fifth year, my goodness, as a church. So this is our fifth time to go through the letters of hope. Uh, like I've said before, nothing is super special uh, about the letters or the, the cleverness of putting together that itself, but it's an acronym that points into God's Word and four things that, that really um, connect us into essentials for walking in faith with the Lord, for having an abiding relationship with God. Um, I hope that if at the beginning of this year you, you set for yourself a goal to just to have a more abiding relationship with God, that that, that is something you're pressing into. Um, and that the letters of hope have begun to be an, uh, an encouragement to you in that. Um, we went through the letter H, is hearing with faith. It's all about the importance of God's word, especially God's word being a voice in my life. Right and, and, and listening to preaching and, and listening to the Holy Spirit as he's convicting you through his word and, and trusting his word in faith. That's an important part of an abiding relationship with God is, is hearing him in your life and trusting what he has to say. And then, then it doesn't just end there, right? You don't, we're not just hearers of God's word, but it should affect our life, the direction we take. And so the letter O is obedience, Right? Obedience by faith. I've heard God's voice. I believe what he says is true. And so now I'm going to follow him. That's obedience by faith. That's an important part of an abiding relationship with God, walking with him. I am a follower of Christ. That means actually taking a direction in my life under his leading. That's obedience by faith. And then we got to the letter P, praying in faith, our prayer life is an essential part of an abiding relationship with God. And we looked at last week how our prayer life is not just this exercise we do, not some kind of a you know, mantra or, or, the, or thing that's impersonal, but it's, it's actually talking to a God who can make a difference and a God who hears our prayers and he responds to our prayers. That's why prayer is powerful, and, and in an abiding relationship with God, that's an important part of our relationship. We're talking to God. We're expressing. We're crying out. We're saying, God, uh, I don't understand, or God, it, it seems like you're distant from me. God, what are you doing here? And just being incredibly honest, where, where really we lay down everything that we are before a God, for, before a God who loves us, who is incredible and infinite, and able to answer us, all of us meeting all of him in prayer, right? So praying in faith. Well, now the last letter might be my favorite. It's where abiding really comes together. It's, it's actually somewhat of a prerequisite to the other three, and it's a result of the other three. It's, it's wrapped around all of the other three. The letter E is enjoying God. That's what E is about. Why do I read my Bible? Because I have a love relationship with God. I, I, 
Yes, there's a discipline to it. Yes, it can be difficult. Yes, I might struggle to, to understand things or, or even just to set apart the time. There's, there's a spiritual struggle going along with a, a practical struggle when it comes to regularly opening and reading my Bible. But when I do, I enjoy it, right? But when I walk in obedience, it's not a chore, a burden to walk in obedience, or it shouldn't be. It's it's actually walking in a way that God has given me. He's, he's illuminated my path, and there's light for me to walk in. It's, it's a better way in the midst of a world that's confusing and broken. There's joy in walking in his ways, obeying his commandments, even as he gives us difficult things like love those who persecute you, right? Be good to those who revile you. It's, God, that doesn't make sense, but it is a way that is full of light and life, right? And to, and to obey him is not just a chore. It's not a burden, but it's life. And when I pray, I'm not just checking a list. It's not impersonal, but it's actually full of joy. And the result of all those things, the result of taking a disciplined approach to saying, I am going to read my Bible, not just read it, but I'm going to believe it. It res results in joy. When I, when I test God and say, okay, I'm going to try your way. I'm not going to revile in return, right? I, I'm going to trust you <clears throat> in my relationships. I'm going to trust you in my work, and, and I'm going to do things your way. And then it brings about joy. It brings about enjoyment of God. And prayer, absolutely, when it's deep and it's in the midst of trusting and following God, and we cry out to him in prayer, it results in his joy, right? It could be in the darkest of circumstances, but then he fills us with his joy. So enjoying God is an essential part, not just of all those things, but it's also an essential part of glorifying him, right? I love John Piper's thesis of his life. <laughs> God is most glorified, um, I did. He's most glorified in us when we, what is it? Our most satisfied, that's the word, our most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, right? When, when we find our joy in Him, then He is glorified in our life. People see us and say, What's wrong with you? I know many Christians have that question. What's wrong with you? Why are you smiling? Right? It's to the glory of God that you continue to have joy. So Psalm 73 <clears throat> begins, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Right? Recognizing God's goodness, just what we sang about. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here's what this psalm is about and something that realistically we will struggle with. Here we are trying to be disciplined, doing things God's way, giving up things, going through suffering, uh, having not the easy path in life. And we look over to those who do not confess God as Lord. We look at those who are the wicked, right? 
They're against God in everything they do and say, and they're prospering. They seem to have it made. And, and what the psalmist is saying, I almost was taken in. I almost, when I saw what the world has to offer, and, and really, the, it looks good. It looks like light. I mean, nothing wrong with having a Tesla, but brand new Tesla, that's awesome. Man. That, or whatever it is. What, what are those things like? That looks like a great life. That's what needs to be my pursuit. I want that. And that, there's always that in front of us of what looks like. And if I wasn't so caught up in trying to do things God's way. And so the psalmist is setting, saying, I was almost taken in because I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice loftily. They threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. I mean, what a picture. Arrogance towards God, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. I, I, lots of different examples can come to mind of, of that today, right? Therefore, here's a scary thing. Therefore, his people, God's people, turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? I, that's, I, even God's people are being taken in by, see, there's this picture of, boy, this certainly looks better. They're not honoring God, but it seems like this wonderful life that they're having, and even God's people are questioning God. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. And so here's the temptation. Here's where he says, I was almost taken in. Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have stricken and rebuked. I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the, children of, uh, the generation of your children. If, if I had let come out of my mouth what I was thinking in my heart, I would have betrayed your children. Right? This is what the psalmist is feeling. But, but, or we're not to the real question yet, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a weary task until... Till what? I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Two things there. I went into the sanctuary of God. You know when you open your Bible? Something that they didn't have back then is the Holy Spirit presence. No matter where you are, whether you're here in this gathering or, or you're by yourself in your house, uh, you put your faith in Christ and say, yes, I'm going to give my life to Christ and follow him and his ways. And, and he does an amazing thing. He, he forgives your sins. That's what the cross is about. That he paid for our sins on the cross so that he can bring about justice for our sins and, and it's on him instead of us. 
But then he gives us his Holy Spirit so that, that when we open God's word and, and we are on our knees in prayer, we enter into his sanctuary. He's right there with us. And, and in his presence then, he gives us eyes to see things as they are. I, this utopia that the world seems to be in, they've got all of these nice things and they, they seem to have it. It's, it's all good for them. But then I look beyond. I see this picture of what looks like this beautiful place and this path that they're on. Oh, that's, I want to be on that path. But then where does it lead? The very end of it is destruction. Suddenly, my desire for the things that are on that path kind of comes down a notch, right? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned therein. Here's what he discerned. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. It's a bitter end. Not following God. So then the next couple of verses are regret for, for even desiring and almost being taken in by that. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, O oh God. See, this is an important thing in our relationship with God is we are going to struggle with the affections of our heart. Is my, is my heart for the things of this world, for, for the better job, for the... The better house, the be there's a lot of things to accomplish. Not that it's bad to have a good job or a good house. But where is my heart? What, is it, what am I trying to pursue? What am I going after? And there's always going to be this issue of the affections of my heart being for the things of this world that are tempting and seem so good. Where's my heart for God? To find my enjoyment, not in the things of this world, but to find my satisfaction and enjoyment in Him. And so he says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, O oh God. And then I love the end of this. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Not continually with riches, not continually with... What I have, I, my riches are, are you, God. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. The beauty of God's word. He's guiding me in his counsel. And afterward, well, what's the end of the path? It's not, it's not destruction. It's not death. It's not, it's not eternal suffering. Afterward, you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Not riches. Not, not any of this. Not, not any. No Teslas. I don't think there's going to be Teslas in heaven. Whom have I in heaven but you? Makes all of this stuff seem so meaningless. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Right? My flesh, my heart may fail. This body might give up on me. And the older I get, the more I'm sure that's going to happen. We're still playing soccer on Sundays, but it takes me a whole week to recover. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, right? 
So I want to take a little time for us just to realize what we have in God, just to, just to meditate on what we have in God, because the affections of our heart need to be there. That needs to be why I go to His Word. It needs to be a motivation of the treasure that I have in Him, the treasure that I have in His Word. And so if you're following in the notes, I've got some fill-in-the-blanks um, just to help anchor some of these points. The first one is treasure God's Word. Treasure God's Word. The more that we can actually see it for what it is, the more we're going to be motivated to go to it, to open it, to take the time and the effort to understand it, right? Daniel chapter 12 in verse 4. It's talking about end times. It's, it's, it's prophecy. And it says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal this book until the time of the end. And what are we going to see as we get towards the time of the end? Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, definitely, if I compare it today to ancient Babylon, many are running to and fro uh, in a way that there's no way Daniel could have imagined, that, that we are moving around. It, you, you get a nighttime view of the earth from satellites, and the lights are on. People are still moving, right? It, it doesn't stop. And knowledge shall increase. What kind of knowledge? Good knowledge, bad knowledge. At the very beginning, the temptation for Adam and Eve was to, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was pursuing knowledge apart from the fear of the Lord, apart from obedience to God. So there's some bad knowledge that can result in, in bad things, right? Uh, we saw a major increase in knowledge in the mid-15th century with the invention of the printing press, Right? Uh, prior to that, to own a book was, was expensive because every book was handwritten. Can you imagine that? Every book had to be handwritten. Um, so only rich people had books. Most people didn't know how to read because you couldn't have a book anyway. The literacy was low. But then with, with the printing press, now uh, following that, more and more people could access books, right? Literacy went up. Knowledge went up because you had access to libraries, um, you had a library in your house. Now there was good knowledge. As a result of that, what went into print that was so vital? God's Word, right? I think 1995 Guinness Book of World Records estimated that at that time about 5 billion copies of God's Word had been made, right? That, it's more than any other book. That's a good increase in knowledge. And following that time, we had incredible theologians that began to create commentaries and to publish works in print that people could then benefit from. We still benefit today from things back in those centuries immediately following that, right? So there's good knowledge, but the world definitely increased in knowledge. We entered into a time, uh, it's been given different labels as um, time of enlightenment, the modern age, the time of the skeptics, right? Deism became a big thing. What's deism? It recognizes there's a God, right? De deist, right? But no, deism said, no, we're so smart now. If we can't see it, sense it, feel it, then it doesn't exist. If it doesn't make absolute sense, 
normal reasoning that, so they didn't believe that there was any special revelation from God, that opening his word was revelatory, right? That you could, that God would speak to you personally from his word, that, that he would answer prayer. God was distant, right? They didn't believe that there could be miracles. They didn't believe that there was a virgin birth or a resurrection, Right? They, they, they didn't believe in a personal God who revealed himself, certainly not a Holy Spirit that dwelt within you. And that, that, that affected a lot of things. Thomas Jefferson was a deist, right? Our, some of the early founding fathers were deists. There was an influence of knowledge. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Darwinism came up after that, questioning that man was a created being, right? You know, the, the account of the Bible is that man was created in God's image separate from the animals, and that when God created him, there was no sin, there was no death. It's a whole different story that Darwin brought. And now questioning, well, does, is it really right what God's word says? right? No, everybody's animals. Humans are animals. God's word says differently. Humans are not animals. Humans are beings created in God's image, separate from animals. And, and, and just that thinking, it, it began to create culturally different ideas of things. It was foundations to, to, to thinking that we maybe don't even realize today are, are prevalent and, and part of how we think about things. What does God's word describe? Verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you receive me to glory. That's not a deist picture of God. Oh, the... The importance of God's word to ground us in what is true. Do you see what you have? And in the face of what was families who the parents had been faithful to God, their their kids would grow up and they started questioning their parents. And no, look at what these new ideas are. And they started walking away from the church. And initially the church didn't have an answer. It's like, no, this is the way things are. It doesn't go with the Bible. And so you got this Weird thinking that kind of developed of, well, there's a truth that's in church and there's a truth that's out there. No, God created out there. There's only one reality, one truth. Do you treasure what you have here? This anchors us in truth. This helps us to see clearly where the world around us is confusing and is influenced by a lot of different things. There was increase in knowledge in the world Modernism really was this uh, ultra-realism. If I can't sense it, touch it, it doesn't exist, right? And that kind of took its natural course. What happens when you've denied that there is a personal God or anything of the Bible is concrete uh, to, believe, to believe in? And you've got this ultra-realism that ultimately comes to this point where you start to realize, hey, I don't always perceive accurately with my mind what is going on. And so, beginning in the 70s and really coming out in the 80s, 1980s, was postmodernism, 
Rather than be, being so skeptic of everything that was these beliefs and, and ideas, now they were skeptic of, skeptics of reality and reason, right? Maybe there's some objective reality out there, but, but since I can't know what it is, then really all reality is subjective. What you perceive as reality, what I perceive as reality, uh, is just, is your truth my truth? That's good for you. That's what you believe. That's good for you. It's what you believe. And that's what came out in the 80s, not long after I was born, right? Postmodernism. And what's the ultimate conclusions of postmodernism? There is no truth. There is nothing certain. And most sad of all, there is no meaning. Right? It's all subjective. That's the belief system we live in. Maybe a post-postmodernism, that's another conversation. But do you treasure God's word? What does, what does God's word do? It gives us absolute truth. It gives us an anchor of truth where the world is saying, well, there is no truth. Well, I can open this and I've got an anchor of truth. The world feels, oh, there's nothing certain. Well, I can be certain because of what I have in God's word. And while the world struggles to find meaning, I have glorious meaning that God has declared because he is the creator. He created mankind in his image, what it is to be human. There's incredible meaning that I have, and I discover it when I open God's word. Do you treasure God's word? Well, knowledge certainly has continued to increase, hasn't it? Uh, so many books. Um, anybody ever? Anybody have an encyclopedia still? Uh, growing up, we had we had a Funk and Wagnall. Um, that used to be a thing. I, that was knowledge. Knowledge compared to what Daniel had in Babylon, what we would have in the average household was incredible. Incredible knowledge, right? Why don't we have encyclopedias anymore? The internet came along, right? I remember my first job at SAIC, 1994, uh, working with my dad. They had always on internet. Now, we didn't have to dial up with Prodigy at home or anything like that. It's, it's like we had always on internet. We could connect. And I used Mozilla browser. And there's like only a handful of sites that you could get to. Uh, not a whole lot of great information. Um, and then Netscape came along. Oh, that was so cool. And, um, and then this little group came along called Google. And they're like, here's our vision statement. All the information in the world available in one click. I'm like, yeah, right. What do we have now? There are billions of pages of information. And in addition to that, billions of pages of books that have been digitized and loaded into that. Billions of pages of journals. And, and it's not just information, the static information is constantly being updated and changed. It's, there's forums of discussion and, and now, you know, Twitter. I don't know if you call that information, but it's, it's there's, there's knowledge, right? Constant. If you say, Daniel, here's what he's talking about. Knowledge shall increase. That's a lot. When I would interview people uh, for software development before I was a pastor, you know, 
it was important that they understood the technologies that we're, we're developing on, but, but more than that, what I wanted to know, in today's world, what I wanted to know, how good are you at using Google? How fast can you figure out how to do the things that we're doing? Because it's always changing. I want to know you understand basic concepts and you're able to adapt and learn and change. That's the world we're in. It's a whole different world. Education fundamentally uh, has a different challenge. It used to be the primary thing was get information into the head. Memorization was key. Well, now I've got a phone and I can get the information fast. I just need to know what to do with it to adjust how we think about what education is about, right? Knowledge has increased, not because of what we've been able to stuff into our brains or what we've been able to put in a library, but now the whole world has access to the knowledge of the world. Daniel had no idea. And it's still increasing. Right? Where in that is truth. Wherein that is certainty. Wherein that is meaning. I think the last couple of years have showed that for all the knowledge we have, the most elusive concept has been truth. The most elusive concept in all, for all that we have access to has been certainty of anything. And certainly with the levels of depression and the levels of suicide and the People are lost. There is not meaning in it for people. But what do we have right here? Do you treasure what you have in this book? In the midst of all that, the same anchor that's been there throughout the ages, God has revealed what is true. He has revealed what is certain. And in it, we find incredible meaning. Can a knowledge increase more? It is. Uh, two months ago, November 30th, OpenAI released ChatGPT. Anybody familiar with ChatGPT? Like, eh, I don't know what that is. You're going to. If you're a teacher, you probably want to know what it is because uh, it's a tool. As if I was in development world, that's what I'd be looking at now. Do you know how to use this tool? It's a productivity tool. Um, people don't understand it as that as much, but ChatGPT, uh, just the, the basic version of what that is, Google allowed me within these billions of resources to search and find one at a time, right? And if I'm researching something, I'll probably try to find a bunch of them and start to put together a picture. Right? If, if I want to find out what are the things I need to prepare for in order to interview uh, for a tech job, management tech job, um, what, are, what are the 10 things that would be good for me to do to prepare for that? I'm going to do a lot of searching. I'm going to be putting together different things. Well, what chat GPT is, or what GPT is, it's been around a couple of years. They just put an easy-to-use interf public interface on it two months ago, is the ability to synthesize all of that digging into what is billions of pages of resource, and with one prompt, synthesize the answer and give you. You ask it. I'd like, what are the top 10 things I can do in order to prepare for this type of a job and do that thing? And it will produce what is actually really good results. Not perfect, but what have I just done? 
I have given the whole world an even greater access to knowledge. Knowledge, not just of, of, of basic information, but knowledge of human behavior, right? Of uh, behavioral knowledge, of, of there's medical knowledge. Don't trust it without references, right? <laughs> Biblical knowledge. Grammar knowledge. I, that's why teachers beware. I can, I can go in there and say, write me a three-page essay. It needs to have these points and it needs to have these things, and it will do an excellent essay. All right, can you rewrite that in a different grade level? Rewrite that in, in second grade level. It does that too. And, 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 or maybe, here, read my reading assignment for me and give me a summary of the, the main things that I need to know out of this thing, right? Copy-paste that in. I've got... As a productivity tool, it's incredible. You should understand, if, if you're in business, and especially programming, it'll write your program. I need to write a JavaScript program that's going to count from one to three, or it's going to do a Fibonacci series or whatever. It writes a JavaScript program for me, and it compiles and runs. I need a website. I need a web page. It does this. My son was playing. He was, I want a website that does a countdown to New Year's. It wrote a website with a countdown to New Year's. We loaded it up. It worked. People are actually afraid. Hey, this thing's going to replace my job. The thing that I spend all these hours doing, now this does in minutes. Actually, just learn how to use it as a tool. But that's a whole other aside. What is this from a knowledge standpoint? God's predicted this already. Knowledge will increase, and it will continue to increase. But what is in it? How do I see that? So I asked ChatGPT. What's the meaning of life? And out of those billions of resources and forums and discussions and, and pages of literature and journals and everything all synthesized into one response, here's what I got. You got the picture? Did we load pictures in? Is there a picture with that? Oh, no. Nothing. Yeah, chat GPT, load a picture. My wife's looking for it. Well, I can't remember the response because it was a long one. Is it there? Oh, it didn't sink. Okay. What is the meaning of life, chat GPT? We're going to do a live test. Chat.openai.com. Y'all are going to have to go there. And, you know, when Netflix came out, they reached a million users in a little over three years. When Facebook came out, they reached a million users in about 10 months. And when Instagram came out, what is the meaning of life? When Instagram came out, Two and a half months to million users. When ChatGPT hit, it was five days to million users. It's, it's going crazy, right? Google issued a red alert in their own um, internal red alert because it's a serious threat to basic search engine. You can see why. All right, here we go. The meaning of life is a philosophical question that has been debated throughout human history and remains open to individual interpretation and personal beliefs. Some may find meaning in relationships, others in career or personal achievements, and still others in spirituality or religion. Ultimately, the meaning of life is a subjective concept shaped by one's experiences, values, and beliefs. The world would applaud this answer. 
This is a non-answer. This is an empty answer. It's basically saying you can't know. Here's some examples. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. There is no concrete answer to the meaning of life. Right? There's no absolute truth. There is no certainty. There is no meaning. Go make up your own. DavidandLiz.com, domain we've had for a couple decades. Our emails are at that. David at DavidandLiz.com, Liz at DavidandLiz.com, Andy at DavidandLiz.com, Charlie at DavidandLiz.com. David, the letter N, Liz, that's always, I have to explain, I don't know how many thousands of times we've had to explain that. I couldn't get David and Liz, someone had already grabbed it decades ago. Well, for the different times, I've put a website at that address, davidandliz.com. For a while, I had a Word, WordPress site that had some pictures of, our, of Andy. That was a long time ago. Now, he was the one playing the keys. He's grown up. But it you know, became Cobb websites, right? They, they hadn't been updated in so long, so I took them down. A couple of years ago, I, in my geekiness, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. The, most, the, the, the best interface ever that was from the very beginning, right? Uh, I, and I made it. When you go to davidandliz.com, it's got this glowy, like, monochrome green, you know, like, like, like the computer I learned to program on was glowy, glowy monochrome orange, but glowy monochrome green and a single prompt. That's the best interface ever. You can do anything with that. Type what you need. Anybody ever play the old video games? That's what you had, right? You type, and you get a response. So that's our website. You type, and you get a response. And there's a lot of things you could do on there if you knew what to type. Um, so I thought last week, I'm going to connect this to GPT Engine, right? So GPT Engine has been there a couple of years. Chat GPT was just something they put to make it easy to access. So I connected it into GPT Engine, but, but I... But I narrowed it, instead of pulling from all the resources, I, I have it so it's responding with the belief system of the Puritans, right? Role-playing is Jonathan Edwards, who was, um, he was a Puritan preacher, you know, he, he was same time as Benjamin Franklin, um, he was, God used him really to start the Great Awakening revivals. Um, and so you go to my website and type in, what is the meaning of life? It responds, the meaning of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Anybody recognize where that comes from? Westminster Catechism. Shorter Catechism is a, a teaching tool, a bunch of questions and answers, largely put together by Puritans. It's a good Puritan response. But the catechism, it begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, why is that answer so different? Well, why is that answer better? It's not because of Puritans. It's not because of Jonathan Edwards. It's because behind that answer is the influence of God's word. Right? In God's word, there's an anchor of truth. And in that response, there is a ring of truth. What is the meaning of life? Incredible meaning. And I can be certain. 
And it's a meaning that's not just today. It is for today. It is for tomorrow. It is in the workplace. It is in my family to glorify God and to enjoy him, to glorify God and to enjoy him. But it goes on forever. It's an eternal response. When he receives me in glory, what have I in heaven but you, God, to enjoy him, to glorify him? That's the meaning that I have in life. And when I open God's word, it takes the confusion and it takes this mess of of non-responses to important questions and gives me solid clarity rooted in truth. Do you treasure God's word? So over this course of time, an increase in knowledge, questioning of what is true, losing sight of any kind of certainty or objectivity. What has been the social change in that time? What is the condition of the family? What is the way that the world follows? What is it to be human? What it is to be human is still connected with Darwin. I'm just a smart animal. Where's morals in that? Well, they're subjective. What's right? What's good? What is it to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? If you're to do a study and just look at every television program that's out there and, and say, okay, this is going to be my source material. Here's what it is to be a man. What's that going to say in contrast to what the Bible describes as what it is to be a man? They're not like each other at all. What is it to be a woman? The glorious creature that God has created, a woman. What, what is that? And if I go to all the source material that, that the world has to offer on what it is to be a woman, is going to be far different than what God has given us in his word. Right? His way is going to be in stark contrast to the way that the world gives us. But see, the world's not rooted in truth. The knowledge of the world doesn't produce light. It seems like it does. There's things uh, people will celebrate in tears. A child struggling with their identity of who they are, man or woman. The world will celebrate that. it's, It's misplaced understanding in knowledge. And they'll say, this is beautiful, this is right. And, but then we look at where does that head? It, it's knowledge without the, the fear of God, knowledge without understanding God's ways. It's knowledge in rejection of God's ways. And, and while it seems for the moment like, all right, this is the best thing ever, it leads to destruction. It's not how God designed things. And it, at the end of the day, it's just increased depression, increased suicide. That's just where we're at. It's a broken world. But what has God given us? Psalm 119 has a lot of verses in it. 105, Psalm 119, 105. Oh, I caught you. Psalm 119, 105. Your word, your word is a lamp. 
to my feet, a light to my path. In, in this, this world that's confusing and, and mixed up uh, values and, and what's worth something, what's not worth something, your word then reveals this is the way to go. This is where to go, right? Obedience to God is not a burden. It, it's, it's an illuminated path of where life is, right? And then, and then uh, verse 129 in Psalm 119. Your testimonies are wonderful, right? Your, your testimonies, God, that's, that's your ways, the things that you have testified are good. Your testimonies about who man is, of who God is, and, and what, what man should be doing, what man is about, what God is doing, how that interaction works. Your testimonies are wonderful. When you open God's word, do you see it that way? And, 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 then, and then as he shows us how we're supposed to live, do we treat them that way? They are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. And the next verse, the unfolding of your words gives light. I love that picture. Sometimes it's a lot of work to unfold God's words, right? Study and, and, and pressing into God's word. But what does it result in? It, it results in light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Thank you, God. Because I don't have the capacity to understand these things. I, can't, I don't have the capacity to come up with these things. But when I unfold his word, I gain understanding of eternal things. So here's the second thing. Not only should I treasure his word, but I can delight in his way. Right? That's obedience by faith. We're looking at hearing with faith, treasuring his word. Obedience by faith, delighting in his way, doing things his way. What is it for a man to be a man? What is it for a woman to be a woman? What, what, what is it for, for two parents together, committed to each other, to raise a child? What is it for a child then to honor their parents and, and, and to submit to the teaching of their parents? These are all things that seem basic and fundamental. They're clearly laid out in God's word. Uh, they, they're in contrast to the world. But to say, I will follow your way, and I'm going to change what I'm doing in order to follow your instructions. Why do I follow his instructions? It's not some obligation. It's not to prove something to the people around me to look like a good Christian. I follow his way because I love him. I delight in him, and I see his way as a light to my path in a confusing and dark world that when I follow it, it leads to life now and eternally. You know when we are treasuring his word, delighting in his way, we're never alone, right? That whole picture of I'm holding your hand. Your counsel gives me guidance. It, when it comes down to reality of following his way in this world, that, that can lead to really difficult decisions. Maybe I'm not going to pursue the better job, but God's putting on my heart that this particular job over here is what I need to go after. Maybe, at, at, like, like in my life, you love software. You've loved software since you started programming on a monochrome screen at age seven. But at this point, I'm turning your heart. Yes, Lord, I'm turning my heart. What do you want? 
I'm going to make you a preacher. What? Never preached a sermon in my life. Following his way might involve giving something up. When I left that job, they, they put a job offer on the table. Major increase in pay and position. This is open for a year, just in case that preacher thing doesn't work out. And I just praise the Lord because my heart wasn't in that at all. And only he can do that. Right? When I'm following his way, I'm holding his hand. My treasure is not this world. My treasure is him. Delight in his way. And finally, if you haven't got it already, the last point, enjoy God. When I pray, that, that's, the, that's, that's an environment where I can just personally interact with God. Sometimes I can pray for a time and then just be quiet. God, guide my thoughts. Guide my heart. As after I've read his word and I, and I just start meditating on that, and God, just wrap in my mind the truths of this. Guide me. What is it that you have for me? It's, it's enjoying him. God, in the midst of a real difficult situation, God, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting in my soul. I'm, I'm, my, my mind is, is tossing and turning. I can't even sleep because, man, if I would have said it this way, it would have changed everything. Boy, when I, next time I talk to them, I'm going to get them because I'm going to say this that time. Right? That's going on in my head. And then I, then I stop and I open God's word. His word convicts me. And then I pray. And it's me and him. Oh. Sometimes through tears, God, I'm wrong. But God, your way's better. God, thank you. You are God Almighty. You know my weaknesses. You know everything about me. And you love me. Your promises, you start declaring his promises. You're, you'll never leave me or forsake me. You are my provider. Even as I'm making this decision where I don't know how we're going to make ends meet, God, I'm going to trust you. And all oh, the, the joy of having personal time with God. Don't miss that. Don't miss that in your walk with God to just spend time with him. It gets difficult because things get busy. But I want Psalm 73, verses 23 to 26, to be my life. Nevertheless, God, I'm continually with you. Right? I'm not pursuing the things of this world. I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you're going to receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you, oh God. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you, those who look like they've got it today, shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, God... 
(laughs) For me, it's good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge. Where do you go when you struggle? Listen, you don't have to go to whatever that thing is, alcohol or, or, or pornography or, 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 or just anger or whatever the thing is that, that our flesh wants to just dive into. You know, five gallons of ice cream, that'll do it. Vegging in front of the TV, just I'm, my mind needs to be somewhere else. I want to encourage you, and myself too, to change your automatic reaction to say, no, my refuge is in you, God. Above everything else, my refuge is in you. Why? That I may tell of all your works. Who do you need to tell of what God has done in your life? To just glorify his name. It's like you need to tell that person who's going through the thing that you were going through. Tell the person who needs comfort and you were comforted in that thing, right? And to glorify his name by saying, look, my God is the one that you need. Jesus is the one who has made it possible for you to enter into the presence of God by his blood shed on the cross. That's what you need. And, and, and after all, what is the meaning of life, right? It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you. Thank you for the gift of life that you have given us through the cross. That through faith in you, we no longer have an outcome that's destruction. And God, I just pray that you embolden us to share the hope that we have in you with those who are still lost, who don't know you, God, that they would turn to you and believe. And by believing in you, Lord Jesus, that they would be saved. Lord, I pray for that. There's many who are taken in. Think, yes, this is all there is. This is, this is the meaning of life. So many have found meaning in just trying to get what they can out of this time. Not seeing the glory of the salvation and the life that we have in you, Lord Jesus. To walk with you in your ways, delighting in your ways. Delighting in you, O God. We love you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Let's just celebrate the Lord. Send his son. Well, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove. My Savior lives Because he lives Well, I can face tomorrow Because he lives
and the purpose and the meaning, the glory of my Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives. Church, go live this week in the grace of our Lord Jesus. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.